The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, December 9th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, the president of South Korea. Park Gin Hai has been impeached. She tried to ride her 4% popularity to a different fate. Nope, didn't happen. President Park's undoing seemed to center around her relationship with a childhood friend, perhaps her only friend, who might have also been a cult leader. It turns out that Park, the daughter of a former president, shows that growing up in a cloistered palace with few friends or contact with the outside world is not the perfect incubator for determining the needs of a burgeoning democracy. Take note, Baron Trump, 2048 campaign. But it was this sentence about Park that struck me as interesting. Chung Jin Suk, Korean member of Congress, described the toll the ordeal was taking on the president. Quote, she said a few times she was sorry. She has grown noticeably wan. Which, considering that Korea's unit of currency is the wan, is like saying of an American president, that guy is money. He's so money, he doesn't even know it. It makes no sense. Oh, okay, Wan, W-A-N, not W-O-N. Well, the impeachment coming on the heels of allegations of corruption and misappropriation is indeed a hard-won victory. And in other international news, Boris Johnson, Foreign Secretary of the UK, has been chastised in public by Theresa May, the Prime Minister there. It has just surfaced that last week, Boris spoke out of school at a conference in giving his assessment of Saudi Arabia's role in the Middle East. May objected to the description Johnson gave Saudi Arabia as an ally, and I have to say I heard about this news, and I knew about Johnson's history of bumbling missteps and forehead-smacking misstatements, and I was just bracing for what Johnson was going to say. Well, the BBC aired it, and here it is. There are politicians who are twisting and abusing religion and, uh, and, and different strains of the same religion in order to further their, their own political objectives. And that's one of the biggest problems in the whole, political problems in the whole region. You've got the, the Saudis, the Iran, everybody moving in and, and puppeteering and playing proxy wars. And it's a, it's a tragedy to watch it. We need to, have a, we need to have some way of encouraging visionary leadership in that area. People who can tell a story that brings people together from different factions and different religious groups into one nation. Boris Johnson, who once won a contest by writing a poem that insinuated that Turkey's president Erdogan had sexual relations with a goat, once called Africans flag-waving pickaninnies, Boris Johnson. I expected worse. That is the statement that got Boris Johnson a rebuke. In the U.S., our incoming national security advisor spreads Hillary Clinton pizza parlor sex ring conspiracy stories, and the punishment is that his son has to revert to his Gmail account. Just wow. On the show today, it is an Antan Twig. Awards will be given. Forgiveness will be sought. And we have a Slate Plus segment. To sign up for Slate Plus, go to slate.com slash gist plus. In it, I will explore the origins of Frosty the Snowman with a man from the supposed hometown of the ambulatory snow person. The man is Dave Barry. He's a famous Floridian. He will be speaking about Frosty, a mythical snowman. But first, comedian Kyle Kinane. He's by turns profound and profane. That rhymes. I expected a hurricane of hairy-chinned turbulence when Kyle sat down, but I found the guy just to be quite lovely, and I hope you agree. 
There's so many showbiz types, like, the most important thing is just that you vote. You're not telling me to vote. You're telling me to vote for Hillary. Yeah. Stop acting like you're just filled with civic pride right now. Exactly. You want me to vote for somebody. Just tell me who you want me to vote for. Don't tell me the most important things to vote. Because if I say, cool, I'm going to vote for Trump, you're going to say, don't vote. You'll ruin America. On this show, <clears throat> I was talking about the one unifying thing is the message, get out and vote, <laughs> and how pr- proud everyone is and how oh, inspiring it is to see it's... the I voted sticker. But if right under I voted, you put for Trump? Yeah. Yeah, that would be the least inspiring the, thing. It's like girlfriend literally did that at her work, like at her own thing, like for Trump, like hilarious office gag that nobody liked at all today. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's maybe, my problem. Maybe at noon it was funny. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem. I just don't, don't veil it like it's just civic American rah-rah pride. Right. You're telling me who to vote for. Well, you know what? And we're speaking with Kyle Kinane. His new special is Loose in Chicago. It airs at midnight October 15th on Comedy Central. I usually mm-hmm. don't do the rolling uh, comedian podcast start. Yeah. Like, you know, how uh, well, that's all right. WTF does it. And yeah. How, yeah. And here we are. We've yeah, just been hanging. Yeah. yeah we just been, no, actually, it is rolling. So we're talking about voting and... We're, and time travel since that came out three weeks ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it airs on October 15th. <laughs> God, if time travel were real, now's the time to tell people, hey, you yeah. really need to vote? <laughs> you need to have a little 10 minutes in that special on what's at stake, dude. <laughs> well, also... Also, yeah, you, did, you nail, did you nail the Cubs thing in that special? No, I mean, I recorded, funny, I recorded at a place called the Metro, which is directly across the street from Wrigley Field. I know. And it was yeah. in May, so I was yeah. like, all right, got to make sure there's no games going on. <laughs> and I recorded at a venue that I've been going to see all ages of shows at since I was 15. I remember being some, like this resentment for the Cubs of being, you know, a 17-year-old punk rocker and then all these jocks in the neighborhood because you'd forget that there's a band you wanted to see the same night as a game. You're like, all the money you were going to pay to somebody that was over twenty one to buy you beer, you had to pay for parking instead. <laughs> yeah, but, but I I actually think of all the of all the teams, there's definitely an indie rock overlap. With well, the Cubs. that's been one of the discussions now is <clears throat> what happens post lovable loserism post yeah. uh, one hundred and eight years. They lost their brand. Being- a stupid I'm, move. That, yeah, it was their brand was being losers, and that's why I could identify. I don't. I don't play sports. I'm not. I didn't grow up with sports. I didn't have dads or like or grandparents that were like, "This is our team. This is a family team." I had none of that. All I had was like, "Oh, you guys, year after year, like, yeah, what a disappointment." <laughs> that I could relate to, in any form. I'm like, "Oh, you let a bunch of people down." I got that one. I, I'm familiar with that feeling. So, all right, go Cubs. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this in your own life. You're having a run of success, great mm-hmm. success, deserve success, yet your brand is, you know, has the elements of the schlub loser in it. Yeah. I don't want to be disingenuous. I don't want to become, as my friend coined it, a hipster Larry the Cable Guy, <laughs> where this guy, I'm just a, like, no, you're a millionaire. Your name's Dan, and get some sleeves. Yeah. You're a mi- so I'm not. And gonna, you're from Nebraska, by the way. Yeah, Mr. yeah, yeah. But yeah, by the way, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of authenticity with Larry the Cable Guy. But that's not, not named Larry. Doesn't work in cable. Isn't from the south. And yeah. Okay. Your character. I don't want to be disingenuous myself. Boy, man, I can't. I, I sure did. Uh, such a like no. I, actually, I'm 39 now. I'm trying to take care of myself. Like, like, hopefully, the brand is just. I'm going to be completely honest about what's happening in my life on, on stage. Yeah. And if that makes me less relatable to some people, well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to lie to you and be like, boy, it sucks, man, being broke and nothing goes right. No, things are going well. I get to tell jokes for a living. I'm very ecstatic about that. It's not as if, though, women have stopped sighing in your face while you're having sex. No, instance. no. I got I got a nice lady now <laughs> okay, who, if she good. does sigh in my face, I know it's temporary. <laughs> and uh, like, yeah, you're, and you're right. You're absolutely right. And we'll have a laugh about this a little bit later. Yeah, but I there are a number of comedians who mm-hmm. are in that boat and they 
they start off as one thing and they get successful. And I think a number of artists, you know, Springsteen, and the art is nothing to do with, well, if the art is entirely dependent on I am from this milieu, then it's a gimmick. And Mm -hmm. you could be successful. I guess Larry's successful, not to shit all over Larry the Cable Guy. But someone great like Louis C.K., he didn't have much. Now he has a lot and he jokes about the stuff he has. So it's great. Another friend of mine, John Roy, a comic from Chicago, was nice. If you can make me laugh at a different viewpoint, like especially speaking now in this political climate, mm-hmm. if you can make a joke about a thing I don't agree with you on, but the joke's funny enough, that's good comedy. And so to hear somebody that's a, incredibly wealthy joking about being wealthy, but you can still laugh at like that's good. It was, it was Drew Carey. I would see Drew Carey and Elliot show, and he'll drop in on whatever show, and he's a very nice guy. But he's like, you want to tax? More because rich people, no, I earned, I worked hard and I earned this money. I complain about this to my maid all the time. <laughs> and she, I mean, she'll, she'll finish her shift, but I'll dump some chips on the floor, keep her around pair, time and a half. But I'll tell her, listen, Lupa, you don't understand. I don't deserve to be taxed as much. Like, you made me laugh yep. at a joke about being incredibly wealthy. Because I, I guess when a comedian starting off, the recognition laugh is nice, but you don't want it anymore. You don't want the clap laughter necessarily no. yes you said the thing that was true yeah or just like going on stage what what challenge is that in life to go up and agree with your audience great comedy name is sam J, who's a you know married black lesbian i saw her do a bit where she defended old rich white racist dudes like i get it you know you lost a leg in korea and you just want to sit in your house and be racist you fought for the right to be racist now everybody's like telling you you can't even be racist in your own house You're like i went to war to be racist i fought for the right to be racist i get that and i was like what a refreshing viewpoint like you took somebody else's perspective and defended it even though it goes against your it's high school debate class stuff but it makes it's a great writing exercise. That's it's more exciting for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I love like why if if I hate something, so many comedians I hate this and it sucks, and they say it. Well, if you don't like it, how would you fix it? Or defend like take that side for yourself and try to understand that side. When when this started, we were talking about the I voted sticker, and it strikes me that you specifically for what you do, and I'm going to use the word specifically again. Mm-hmm. The reason that just saying I voted and eliding the for who part, which is the whole reason for voting, right? It's not like I voted, but only for uh, municipal uh, elections. I voted Mm -hmm. only for municipal court judge. You voted for president because you wanted one of those two people to be president. It's just that so much of comedy and your comedy depends on specificity. And when you go around the specificity, when it's, um, you know, Katy Perry saying, get out there and vote for Mm. someone, it's offensive to you. Get specific. Well, any propaganda from any side... I don't like and and I saw a lot of stuff that was happening on Twitter where people were say if you vote third party you're trash you're like mm-hmm. how could you can't be more undemocratic and un-American than telling somebody their vote is garbage you can't tell somebody to participate and then tell them they're wrong for the way they're participating this points out to me that stand up comedy is in a way, the most idealistic profession because you don't have to get along. You don't have to get along with a group. You don't have to make compromises. Yeah, I think I don't think I had like a list of careers laid out for me. Like doctor, <laughs> nah. Lawyer, nah. You know what? Jokes, jokes for beer and peanuts, nah. <laughs> that, well, that's, I didn't have anything else going on, so I kind of fell into it. You grew up a little outside of Chicago. Yeah, western suburbs of, of Chicago. Did you go to college? Yeah, I went to three of them. Yeah? Did any, <laughs> any of them stick? Uh, the last the last one, I went to a community college. I went to state school, and I went to Columbia College in Chicago. Oh, and I went there 
And I went there long enough to where they're just after, I forget, six years there, I think. I was like, you're done. I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be done. <laughs> I like it. It's liberal arts. I'm just taking fun stuff. I had no curriculum I was following. I'm like, no, you have enough credits. Like, you're getting a bachelor's degree. I was like, ugh. And so I moved to LA. <laughs> like, I got the degree and I you. took off. Yeah, Did I you do stand up in college? Yeah, that's where I started. I started when I was 22. That's I'm older sorry. than some comedians that I hear of. To me, it seems normal. We're roughly the same age. Nowadays, but you hear some of these guys, yeah, 17. Well, yeah, and I don't know where, like, I didn't even know where to go for stand-up. I mean, I didn't know. You'd see it on TV, but especially when you're a teenager or something, I, I didn't relate to, like, with guys in blazers talking about their wives. Like, I don't, I know, I like what they're doing. I was always mystified from an early age of, you know, staying up late watching Johnny Carson. Like, that guy's the only thing, he just they just introduce him by name. And he just stands there and mm -hmm. talks. Mm -hmm. He's not in a band. He's not doing magic. He's not in movies. He's just talking to people and they laugh. And he got on TV because of that. That seems like the most, like in my head, I'm like, that's the quickest way to success. I don't even have to <laughs> learn anything. I just got to talk. Yeah. I can already do that as a human being. Yeah. Let me give that a shot. So, Was your style starting off different from it is now? Not more refined, but like different persona? Yeah. I, well, I was never like a, a very loud, like, okay, parties, I was loud, obnoxious. You look back and you're like, oh man, I sure was fun at parties. Like, nah, you're a jerk. Yeah. You're just a loud <laughs> you're jerk. You're up. <laughs> you forced people to listen to you. <laughs> Uh, but when I started stand-up, it was from a writing standpoint. So it was guys like Mitch Hedberg that like the economy of words that they use to put a joke out there. I was like, that's fascinating to me. Uh, like how, how you can refine something down to two sentences. So I had zero personality on stage. And I thought if I could just deliver it in writing, that if people laughed at the writing of it, then maybe I can start trying to sell it and have some salesmanship. And that eventually gave way to I'm mostly salesmanship and the writing has totally fallen off now. <laughs> Well, I want to play, so we're going to play this, and this is uh, some of your uh, set on a recent Conan. I do. I have, I have conspiracy theories, but my conspiracy theories are so low rent, I can't even hang out with the actual conspiracy theorists because they don't want to entertain my notions. I'm like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer of conspiracy <laughs> theories. They're all in the clubhouse in the corner going over the real stuff. Like, of course, the moon landing was fake because we had to beat Russia during the Cold War up there no matter what the cost. And I try and jump in like, yeah, and I think that Trader Joe's is making their parking lots too small on purpose just so they seem more popular than they really are. <laughs> It's obvious that the mob killed Kennedy. And I think that expiration dates on food are just a conspiracy by Kraft and the FDA to get you to buy condiments before you need to. So here's what struck me there. It seems to me that there are a couple of lines there that could be lines, could be jokes, could be tweets. Like the Trader Joe's, I, uh, you know, your suspicion that Trader Joe mm. has small parking lots on purpose. That's a funny concept, yeah. right? But to fit it inside this larger structure, mm -hmm. it becomes something more. So did it start with that observation uh, about the specific observations? Um, or did it start with the conceit and then the observations were filled in? It started by just going to Trader Joe's. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. To go like, this is ridiculous. You know you're a popular grocery store. I don't even know if it, how, if it translates in a, in, you know, here in New York or where. Like, yeah, we but, got a couple Trader but, Joe's. But driving in there and lots. you're like, yeah. you know you're a popular grocery store and I know you just opened up and now you got eight spots for the 40 cars trying to be like, you got, okay. So everybody drives by like, whoa, what's going on? But 
I am a conspiracy theorist. I get into all that stuff. You have this Trader Joe's observation. At what point do you say, well, this is kind of a conspiracy theory? Or is it more like you're talking to conspiracy theorists and you're saying to yourself, well, there was that thought I had about Trader Joe's. Well, just from a pure joke writing standpoint, yeah. I'm like, I think this is, it's marketing. It's mm-hmm. not a conspiracy theory. It's like, oh, this is, I think this is a marketing theory. Yes. It's much funnier to put it out as a conspiracy theory of minimal proportions yes. as opposed to like, oh, their way of advertising is to uh, seem like they're like falsely popular. But to call it a conspiracy theory and you're like the guy in the shadows going, I'll tell you the real truth. That's what makes it a joke. Yes. Instead of like, mar- here's a marketing strategy a company put forth. And then- That's not funny at all. <laughs> and then there are other grace notes in there where you describe yourself, You, it's akin to the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know, you okay. couldn't even play with the other rangers. So, I mean, there's the superstructure, there's the specific examples, there are some kind of side pathways of analogy. There's a lot going yeah. on there. I mean, to the audience, hell, if you interpret it like this- you're not going to enjoy yourself. But there is writing. Like, really, there's a lot of choices and a lot of writing going on there, I think. Well, how many people do you think, like, take out the physical act of writing mm-hmm. and think of your friends that know how to just get a ball rolling just mentally for themselves, get them worked up about something, and then mentally they're getting a little more confident with what they're talking about so their descriptions get more vivid as they're telling you about the best sandwich they ate or how – terrible traffic was and then you know they're starting to exaggerate deal uh, some of the details because you're laughing at them so the stories get a little i mean it's a big fish story but you're not trying to win you're not trying to fool anybody you're just Mm -hmm. trying to make them laugh yeah and that's everybody i grew up with if you if you were pissed or had a bad day and you wanted to complain about it to somebody else it better be entertaining you can't just complain otherwise it's selfish but if you're making somebody laugh, you're complaining, you're venting, and somebody else is being entertained by it, so you're killing two birds with one stone. If you want to call that writing, even though there's no pen to paper or fingers to keypad, that's the, that's the writing process. And then perhaps the greatest success of all, Trader Joe's hears you and adds two more spots. But they're, hand, but they're handicapped, so you can't use them. <laughs> just give me a discount for the free press. That's what I just want free <laughs> but stuff. But it's free bad press. I know uh, Trump has proved that that doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, everything's, everything's on its end nowadays, all right? You, you just disparage somebody as much as you can and be like, you know what? We're, we'll take it. He's got, he's got our name in the, in the zeitgeist. Let's give him, let's give him some coupons. <laughs> Kyle Kinane's Loose in Chicago special aired October 15th. We'll continue to air on the Comedy Central site. Anything else you want to plug? If you like my bad conspiracy theories, I got a podcast (laughs) called The Boogie Monster that I host with my friend Dave Stone. We really have absolutely zero focus on it. Don't don't go to it for facts. We start talking about Bigfoot, but then we get into fried chicken recipes. It's really all over the place. But, uh, and yeah, I'm just out there. Probably coming to your city soon, so. Kyle Kinane, coming to a city soon. Also, I loved you in love. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. Good to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And now the spiel. Mariachi bands on the subway do not have the biggest repertoire. They've got the cucaracha. They've got the Mexican hat dance. Then that's about it. I guess not too many extra requests come in. The distance between any one line doesn't call for more songs than that. That's what they got. But you know what? The Mexican hat dance is a really good song. Da-dun. Da-dun. Here it's just building. Da-da-da-da-dun. Da-dun. Okay. Da-dun. Say what? Da-dun. Uh-huh. Da-da-da-da-dun. Da-dun. Now you're primed. 
You're ready for it to kick in, and man doesn't. You play it. You can play it. It builds, it crests, it was once banned by colonial and religious authorities as considered to be morally offensive, a challenge to Spain's control. However, what happens? What happens when you ban the Mexican hat dance? People will protest, people will rebel, people will hold illegal dances. On the subway, they will play the hat dance. But ump but um, it's a good song. I'm just saying we take the Mexican hat dance for granted. If it didn't exist and I was demoing it for you, you'd be like, that is a good song. Some songs are just songs because they're songs. Like, is happy birthday good? Is happy birthday bad? It's just happy birthday. But the Mexican hat dance is solid. It doesn't get the credit it deserves. Which brings me in some way to the Antan Twig. The Antan Twig is our name for a three-week period. Over three weeks, we sometimes make mistakes. We sometimes get complaints and we definitely give awards. So what we do is we we clean out the air filter that is our inbox. And I have made a number of mistakes. See, I thought that I was on solid ground when I evoked the name of that feces splattering honker from north of the border. No, not Rob Ford, the Canadian goose. Aha, it's the Canada goose. They use not the adjectival form, but the attributive noun form. Now, why would I say the Canadian goose and not the Canada goose? I don't know. Because of the Brazilian Tinamou, the Patagonian Tinamou, the New Britain Sparrowhawk, the Sumatran Laughing Thrush, the Cambodian Laughing Thrush, the American Widgeon, the American Black Duck, the American Woodcock. Perhaps I let the Woodcock be my guide. Not the America Woodcock, the American Woodcock. I would not block that Woodcock by calling it an America Woodcock. It's proud to be an American. At least it knows it's free, but doesn't know it's a Woodcock. And could it answer, how much cock could a woodcock block if a woodcock could block cock? Yes, stop it, I will. Okay. Almost all species are named after the adjective. Some are named after the noun, like the Canada goose. I got it wrong and thus became the laughing thrush of an entire people, an ornithologically persnickety people. Canada goose was the number two comment that I got. Number one was a lot of people wrote in saying, actually, my podcast player can play back at three times speed. I did this experiment where I tried to get, if you use Apple, that's what I use. If you use that iTunes player, you can only go to two times speed. So I played some of our podcast at one and a half times speed and then recommended you play it at two times speed to achieve three times speed. I found out a lot of you could achieve three times speed on your own. There is still no way to achieve five times speed is there. The math just doesn't work. And if you do, I mean, think about American literature. I mean, Hemingway's For Whom Belto and Henry James' The Turn of the Screw and of course, Maya Angelou's Marvelous I Know Kate Person. Frank Ordia, a former classics professor, wrote to correct my references to the seven labors of Hercules. Duh, there were 12 labors, of course. Among them, the Nemean Lion, the Lernian Hydra, the Cretan Bull, the Stymphalian birds, the Augean stable. I bring this up for two reasons. One, those are all adjectives. Augean, Stymphalian, Cretan. I'm just saying. I like to hold on to things. Two, I was always fascinated by that myth of the Augean stable. It is a myth where Hercules has to clean up poop. It is about cleaning up poop. The livestock poops. Hercules cleans it up. As soon as he cleans it up, they poop again. It is not a feat of strength. It is not a battle with the undead. It is about cleaning up poop. 
lots and lots of poop. Myths have given us so many phrases. The sword of Damocles, the Midas touch, an Achilles heel. This one has given us same shit different day. I love the Augean Stables myth. I want to invent an entire genre of myths about lesser god and goddesses whose only job was to deal with the bodily functions of the gods we know. Like, you think Pegasus is housebroken? He's not. Or how about the lesser-known god, Charmanites? Charmanites, you know him, his job was to wipe the centaur's ass. You ever, you ever think of that? The centaur, picture him, right? Torso of a man, body of a horse, but think about the arms of the man. They don't reach all the way back to the way back of the horse. Horses go on for a long time. It's just physiology, people. Centaurs, great archers, not when they got a little business back there. That's where Charmanites comes in. And now to the lobster. Russell Cobb wrote in, a lot of people did, about the story of Fly Day when I pitched that in the Eel Tank, a day, a short story that I may be writing about one day in everyone's life where they could fly. Here were Russell Cobb's questions as, as he wrote to us on Facebook.com slash SlateGist. He wrote, one, if Fly Day ends while you're flying, do you fall to the ground? Two, does it ever happen that someone's fly day happens to be the day they're dying of natural causes? If so, can they fly while they're dead? Or is that a spinoff of fly day with zombies? The answer to that's no, they're just dead. It's not magic, it's flying. Three, he surmises there are subreddits about who really controls fly day, like Putin. Maybe Putin created fly day as a ruse to infiltrate American democracy. No, that's insane, Russell. And yet, I don't want to snuff out your spirit of inquiry. I want to elevate it. And that's why you, Russell Cobb, asking all the right questions, are the lobster of this Antan Twig. And that's it for today's show. The gist was produced by Mary Wilson. She is interbreeding an Amsterdam albatross with a Madagascar cuckoo hawk. This is a bird that gets crazy high. Chris Berube, just producer, is combining a Sri Lankan hanging parrot with an Arabian babbler, a bird that wants to talk but knows the high price he'll pay. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, breeding a lesser Antillian peewee with the great-billed kingfisher. The new species will be known as the medium kind of whatever sort of sparrow. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network. He's got a Pacific loon. He's mating it with a Filipino bulbul, and he's hoping to create Rodrigo Duterte. The gist, I got an African spoonbill, hoping to mate it with a fork-tailed stormy petrel. I don't want a new bird, I just want a color reset. Oomperu deperu duperu, and thanks for listening. Give the gift of Slate Plus to another Slate fan in your life. He or she will receive all the benefits of membership, like ad-free podcasts, bonus podcast segments, and access to the Slate Academies. It's also another way to support Slate's independent journalism. Give Slate Plus today at slate.com slash give plus.